We are actually beginning a new class today, even though it doesn't feel like it. Um, this is Systematic Theology 2. And um, we, yeah, I, I messed that up on the top of your handout. It should be Systematic Theology 2. It's just the second part of a 26-lesson series on, on a, uh, an organized view of the doctrines of Scripture. And uh, so we've finished the first half of that, the first 13 classes, and now we're moving to the second 13. And uh, so we're starting today with uh, this doctrine of salvation, the order of salvation. And I'll explain to you what that is here in just a second. Let me pray, and then I'll um, in- introduce this topic for us. <coughs> Father, we're thankful for uh, the fact that you have exchanged our sin for Christ's righteousness, that He took upon Himself our sin so that we would not have to experience Your judgment, and we take upon upon ourselves His righteousness so that we can be seen as just before You, as righteous, even though we are not. We come to You on the basis of His finished work, and we want to know and love this doctrine more and more, and so we pray that You help us this hour as we Reflect on uh, the truth that comes from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles Spurgeon is uh, known as the Prince of Preachers and perhaps the best Baptist um, in history. And he regularly would preach on the doctrine of election, which we will get to today. And um, he talks about how he came to understand the doctrines of grace. That is, that he has... N- really nothing to do with the good that is in him, with the salvation, the, 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 um, the gifts that come from God. And here's what he says. I can well remember the manner in which I learned the doctrines of grace in a single instant. I was sitting in the house of God one day and a thought struck my mind. How did I come to be a Christian? Well, I sought the Lord. I then wondered, Well, how did I come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought Him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek Him. I prayed. I thought. But then I asked myself, how came I to pray? Well, I was induced to pray by reading the Scriptures. How came I to read the Scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? And then, in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that He is the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me and from that doctrine I have not departed to this day and I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. He can't take credit for anything that has to do with His own salvation, can He? And neither can we. Do you believe that salvation is holy of God or do you think that man has something to contribute to it? So far in this class, we've looked at um, God and who He is, what He's done, His triune nature. Uh, We've looked at man and and the doctrine according to uh, the doctrine surrounding creation and his sin and uh, his fall, the separated 
the separation that man made between himself and God when he sinned. And in recent weeks, we've talked about <clears throat> what the Scriptures have to say about the, the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the Holy Spirit. And today we want to, to, uh, want to begin a two-week series, really, a two-week class on the order of salvation. And the order of salvation. Um, when Christ died on the cross, He earned salvation for His sheep. And um, and so today we want to see that salvation is, is of the Lord. Not only at the point of salvation, that, that is the point where Christ actually redeemed us, but really throughout the whole, we could say, process. And we'll talk about how that, that works here in just a second. There, It is true that salvation is an instantaneous thing, right? There, there's a sense in which we are saved at a point in time. It's not as if we um, are beings, we're not uh, coming to be redeemed or something like that, but there's another sense in which we are being saved, right? That, that the Scriptures talk about that, that, that there is a past action of salvation, something that already took place, but there's also a continuing act of salvation, what's called sanctification or growth in godliness. And then there's a final act of salvation, which is called what? Glorification, where we will finally be made like Christ. So there is, in a sense, a process of salvation. In fact, turn to Romans chapter 8, and uh, we'll see that there is an order to salvation. There's a logical order that has to to be there, even though many of these things happen... Um, instantaneously or or consecutively uh, there certainly is is an order Romans chapter 8 verse 29 would some someone read verses 29 and 30 for us All right, let's see if we can get these five points in this verse that that uh, Paul lays out for us. What's the first one? He foreknew. Okay, what's the second one? Predestined. Okay, very similar actually to foreknowing. Predestined, and then you got to skip down to verse 30. Who, those whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. And then number five, He glorified. All right? And so there's a there's a logical progression here. That, that predestination has to proceed, come before calling. And that has to come before justification. And justification has to come before glorification. Okay, so, or in other words, God would not glorify someone who is not first justified. God would not justify someone who is not first called or foreknown. Okay, these have to happen in progression. And so there is a logical order, and there's actually more to it than what Paul lays out here based on the rest of the New Testament and the Scriptures. And so that's what we're going to look at um, here uh, just in, in, in survey form right now, and then we'll dig into each one. Okay, first, 
there is election. This is the very first thing that God does. He chooses those whom He will save. This is what we'll spend a lot of time on this morning. Election. And then the gospel call or gospel invitation. This is hearing the message of the gospel. Right? They can't call on Him in whom they have not heard. And so these kind of go together. And then number three, regeneration. The impartation of spiritual life to the spiritually dead. Regeneration. And then conversion. Immediately after the Spirit enlivens us, awakens us, brings life to our dead spiritual body, then we respond with this. Conversion. Faith and repentance. And then those are the five we'll cover today. And then next week, adoption. We become members of God's family once we respond in faith. We are sanctified or being sanctified even today. Growth and knowledge and obedience. We persevere. We continue on in the faith. We die. We go to be with the Lord. Okay, So this life of sanctification is now over. We come actually to what's also known as final sanctification or final justification or final uh, salvation when we go to be with the Lord. And then finally, our bodies are glorified. We have a resurrected body and and or are removed from the plague of sin. All right, so let's start into the first one here and um, and try to understand this according to the scriptures. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter thirteen with me. This is a I think the clearest proof from the scriptures that God chooses someone before they come to Christ. That is that he He's the one who elects them to salvation. So let's begin with the definition and we'll come to this reference here in Acts chapter 13. Alright? An act of God, the election is an act of God before creation in which He chooses some people to be saved. So if you want to write that down, I would stop right there at the part of saved. But, but to fill it out a little bit more, not on account of any merit, but because of God's sovereign good pleasure. Okay, In other words, God chooses who will be saved. He doesn't look down the corridors of time and say, Jack, you look like you're going to come to Christ based on my foreknowledge. I, I foresee what you will do. Okay, that's what this is talking about. Foreseen merit. That's not how God chooses people. And we're going to see that here when we look at several of these verses. God chooses people because of His own good pleasure. Alright, so that's election. Election is... God's act before creation when He chose some people to be saved. Um, And we should know this, that that we need this, because on our own, we can't seek God. We don't seek God. There is no one who is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks after God, Romans 3.10 says. And so what we need is we need a supernatural, external work of God to impart life to us, to choose us from, from the path of destruction that we want to follow. Romans chapter 8 talks about that, that not only are we, un, that we are unable to please God in our natural state, but we're also unwilling to do so. We don't even want God to save us. And that's why we need to be elected. That's why we need to be chosen. And uh, so let's look at this verse here, Acts 13, 48. Here, Paul and Barnabas are preaching to the Gentiles in Antioch. And uh, this is what Luke writes 
when the Gentiles heard the the message in verse 48. Chapter 13, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And notice, as many as had been appointed, or we could say chosen, as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. God had already chosen who would believe before they believed. So as many as, as were appointed, as many as God had already chosen, as He had elected, those only those who are elect will believe the Gospel. Okay? That's what the Scriptures teach. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. As many as were chosen for eternal life believed. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul lays this out in a little bit clearer language. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He, and here's the, the key word we're looking for, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of man's will. No, to His own will. He chooses based on who He wants to save. Alright, so believers were appointed. Believers were chosen in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Uh, I put these other... I think I put some other references down there for you. Yes, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with word, but also with power. In other words, the reason we know that you have been chosen by God is because you've believed in God. The fact that you have expressed faith in Jesus Christ shows that you have been chosen by God because that has to come first. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 We ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved. And so God's choice of us determines is determined by His sovereign will. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is pointed out in the people of Israel who were a chosen race by God. And so we have here an example or a we can point back to what it looks like for us. Why does God choose certain peoples over others? Because there's something special about them? And God tells Israel exactly why. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people or a set-apart people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you. This is why He chose you. And He kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Alright, so the reason God chose Israel, why He elected them as a people 
It's not because they were more numerous than other people. They were the fewest of all, really. Not because they were special in any way, but simply because God wanted to, to pour out His love on a specific people. Now turn to Romans chapter 9. Alright, return to a lot of verses because I want you to see that this is not me that has just come up with this idea or anything, that this comes from the Scriptures. Alright, Romans chapter 9. And Paul brings up the the um, the argument, or probably he was responding to an argument that the Romans would have to say, how could God choose one over another? How could He possibly do this and be just? I mean, isn't that unfair of Him? All right, chapter nine, verse ten. And so he gives biblical proof for why God chose certain people over the other. Not only this, but there was Rebecca also when she had conceived. Twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand, not because of works, but because of Him who calls, it was said to her, "The older will serve the younger." Just as it is written, "Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated." What shall we say then? There's no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Our salvation, our choice, is not depending on our will, on what we do, but it's on God's will, God's desire. Look at verse 13 again. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. I mean, that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? It seems a bit unfair. And we could ask the, the question of Paul, is, is God being unjust? And of course, Paul responds to that in verse 14. May it never be. And here's why. Why is God not unjust for choosing Jacob and not choosing Esau? And the answer is this. This is what God could have said. Completely injustice. Jacob have I hated, and Esau have I hated. Could God not have done that in complete justice? Yes. I mean, obviously you have to take out the promises that he's already made and the fact that those are the only two sons of Isaac. But, but the fact that God chose one over the other actually speaks to His grace. God didn't have to choose either one. So the difficult question is not how can God hate um, is not why why would he save only some? How could he hate Esau? The difficult question really is for us too, why would he save any of us at all? Why would God choose to save any? God could have been completely just in plunging all of humanity into hell because of their sin, their defiance against Him. The fact that God chose some to salvation speaks to His mercy. It speaks to His grace. That He is giving favor that we don't deserve. And notice in this passage, when did this all take place? Notice 
verse 11, For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad. Okay, and that's, that, that goes perfectly in line with verse 16, which says it doesn't depend on man. God didn't look at Jacob and Esau and say, wow, Jacob's going to be a good guy. And if you remember Jacob from his life, you remember that he was a pretty uh, wicked person at times. Even after God had called him. And he was a, a scheming, uh, often defiant person. And yet God chose him. And that's the nature of election. That God chooses a person before they're born, really before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, before the foundation of the world, and He chooses them not on the basis of their merit, not on the basis of any of their works, their efforts, but on the basis of His own goodwill, His own sovereign will. And what that means is, is that God gets all the praise and salvation. We can't say, look what I did. Because we deserve what Esau got. We deserved what every other person that's in hell right now is getting. That's what we deserve because of our sin. But when we look at our salvation, we say, why would God choose me? There's a verse of a song that I think it was John Newton wrote um, called How Sweet and Awful Lids. The word there is really awesome. Uh, the, the idea, the awful back then was used in a different way than we use it. But, but one of the verses says, Why was I made to hear God's voice and enter while there's room, while thousands uh, make a, a um, condemning choice and, and would rather starve than come? I mean, why was I made to hear God's voice? Why, why did God open up my ears to respond to salvation? And there's a couple answers to that. One is because He chose us, but, but why did He choose me? And really, we don't really know other than God just chose us. And that speaks to God's grace and should give us great encouragement and comfort. And so the application for us the doctrine of election is it should provide comfort that God always acts for the good of those whom He called to Himself. Remember Romans 8.28? That He works out all things together for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to His purpose. Those who are the chosen ones. It should also humble us and give us a thankful heart. And we didn't deserve it and we are amazed at Your grace. To us, God. And then finally, it should um, empower our desire, desire for evangelism. In, in Acts chapter 18, verse 10, God says to Paul, I have many people in this city. Paul didn't know which ones were chosen, but Paul was still empowered to give the gospel because he knew that God had people in the city. He didn't know which ones, but he was going to, to present the gospel to them and watch God do the work that He does. Alright, this next one is um, actually part of the first one. It's called reprobation. Let me, let me explain to you what it is. 
After we finish this one, I'll ask for questions, or I'll see if you have any questions. Reprobation is the sovereign decision of God before creation to pass over some persons, deciding not to save them and to punish them for their sins, and thereby manifest as justice. I said it could have been completely just. It would have been completely just for God to, to plunge all of humanity into hell. Okay, The fact that He chose some people, said, you're going to be My people, means that He also passed over some. That's the idea of reprobation. Okay, He passed over some. That those are going to go on into what they want. They want to enjoy and to live in the pleasures of their sins. And they don't want to have they don't want to respond to God. Now, maybe maybe hearing this um, makes you angry. Maybe you want to object to this idea that God would pass over some like this. It makes God out to be some sort of mean character. And if you are struggling with this idea of election and reprobation, then you're not alone. This is uh, Wayne Grudem from his Systematic Theology. He says, "...the love that God gives us for our fellow human beings and the love that He commands us to have toward our neighbor cause us to recoil against this doctrine. And it's right that we should feel dread in contemplating it. It's something that we should not want to believe and would not believe unless the Scripture taught it. And here's the thing. The Scripture does teach it. Turn to Jude chapter 1. Only chapter in Jude, but Jude... We're not going to look at all these verses, but um, we've looked at a lot of verses with the positive side of, of election, that is, God chooses some. And so we're not going to look at a lot of the negative ones, but I put them there for your benefit to look up on your own. Jude chapter 1, verse 4. Would someone read that for us? All right. So there, there is um, there is a sense in which these people have been chosen for their condemnation. Okay, it's not as if God says, "I'm going to take this select people and I'm going to condemn them." No, they're already condemned because of their sin, and we're all condemned because of their sin. It's actually like this that God takes some and says, "I'm going to save them." That's the idea. And now they're all going to be passed over and sent on to the condemnation that they deserve, that we deserve. We deserve that condemnation too. And so, this is the idea of, of reprobation. And, and, um, and really, we could go back to Romans chapter 9 where we just were and see that you know, we are the lump of clay when we think about that analogy. There's a potter in the clay and the fact that the clay would ever say to the potter, why did you make me this way? Why did you make me a vessel for this purpose? And so all those people could say the same thing. All those people that are marked out for condemnation, they could say the same thing. Well, why did you make me this way, God? And um, who are we to question God? Why did you make us this way? If you study through the doctrine of God's choice, God's election of His people, what you're going to find is that the Scripture writers are not frustrated by it or... um, confused 
they're, they're really joyful about this doctrine. They take great joy that, they, that God chooses some, even though we don't deserve it. Alright? Any questions before we move on to the next part of this order of salvation? Bill. Um, anybody who who will want to believe John 3.16 and be saved has been chosen by God. Absolutely. No, it's not denying the doctrine of man's choice that we all have a responsibility. We're going to come to that here in faith and repentance, but we're not denying that in any way. But anyone who does, all who are pointed to eternal life, believed. All who believe that God loved the world and that Jesus Christ is the only way, all of those people have already been chosen before. It may not look like it to them. These types of things don't usually aren't comprehended for a believer until later on in their Christian life. I certainly didn't understand this when I came to Christ. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it that way that God chose a person to go to hell. Um, I would say that a person has been uh, appointed, or, or a person has. I mean, obviously God knows what's going to happen to every person. But the way that I would look at it is every single person, this room included, deserves to be in hell, and that God only chose the the fact that we don't know which person is appointed to to be saved by Christ and not is not for us to try to determine. The only way we can determine it is once we look on the other side. We see that they believed, and when we do, then we say, well, then God must have chosen them. That's the way the Scripture writers do it. All who are appointed to eternal life believed. Ephesians 1, God chose us before the foundation of the world. So, so you ha- you'd have to wrestle with those verses and say... Absolutely. Yeah, ultimately, we can't know who the elect are until the next life. I mean, I mean, as far as the rest of the people. Hopefully, we can know for ourselves. I mean, the Spirit testifies with our spirits that we are the children of God. And we should be able to have an idea of other people based on their fruits. But, you know, whether certain presidents that have already died or certain family members, ancestors, and things like that, we can't. We can't know. Any other uh, thoughts or questions? Sandra. Right. Yes. Right. And we'll get to that once we get... We'll go to regeneration next and then faith and repentance. 
and that will involve our will. Uh, but that's a spirit-enlivened will. That's a spirit-generated will. It's not a, it's not a will that's, that's, that's uh, separate from that. In other words, we can't just simply say, the reason I came to Christ was because of me, because of my choice, because of my will. Ultimately, if we chose, it's because God chose us first. Eric. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Deuteronomy says, uh, or is it Isaiah that says, you know, our ways are not God's ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are are God's thoughts, not our thoughts. I mean, they're they're just so far and above our little space and time. So, the only thing that we can know about election is what the Scriptures teach about election. And so, we, we have to... We have to uh, we have to basically look at it in a way after we've seen this person come to Christ. That is, when we come to Christ or another person comes to Christ, we see that they've been chosen by God, but we can't know that before the fact. Um, and once we get to yeah, once we get step outside of this um, this this uh, time space mass continuum, then we will have a clearer picture, but not a not an infinitely wise picture. We'll still, I think, for all of eternity, we'll still wonder why why did God choose us? I mean, why did you choose me? Why did why did you love me? So, I would uh, encourage you to look back over those verses I have there for you on your handout, and uh, and try to think through those and come back with questions that you may have. I think this is a critical doctrine an important doctrine that we all should should understand all right let me uh quickly go through some of these and um try to just uh point us to some resources from the scripture to help us okay the gospel call there are two aspects to the gospel call one is an external call we could call it something that goes out to all people okay you must be saved um and obviously, many people will reject this general call. Okay, so but that's not what God is talking about, or Paul is talking about in Romans chapter eight. Those whom He predestined, He also called. Okay, the calling there is actually the second aspect of the gospel call, and that is an effectual. Do you see that word "effect"? It actually affects salvation. It causes. That's the idea there. Okay, an effective or causal internal call where God summons people to Himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. Those whom God foreknew, He predestined. Those whom He foreknew, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. Okay, So that's not those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He called, He justified. Does that make sense? Okay, An effectual call, it's guaranteed that it will work. Once God has chosen a person, and then when he's ready to call them, they they respond. And how do they respond? They can only respond through the hearing of the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, right? 
So a person has to hear. This, this is very much in line with that. Regeneration. Regeneration. I've given a definition of this several times, and I think it's a, a very helpful one. One I learned from my seminary professor, Dr. McCune. It is the impartation of spiritual life to the spiritually dead. The impartation of spiritual life to the spiritually dead. It is an instantaneous event where the Holy Spirit works in us, enables us, enlivens us, gives us the faith, the repentance that we need to respond. The will, we could say. Okay, so regeneration is a completely passive act on our part. That is, we have nothing to do with regeneration. Okay, I didn't say we have nothing to do with salvation. God, God re- requires response from us, but regeneration, that's all a work of the Spirit, right? Unless a person is born again, born of the water and the Spirit. That's the idea, born of the Spirit. Just like we can't give ourselves physical birth. You can't just like, I want to be born or I want to be conceived, right? You can't do that. And the same thing is true about spiritual birth. We can't force it on ourselves. It happens externally. It happens when the Spirit gives us life. Does that make sense? John 1.13 says, Born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Okay, so before we can respond in saving faith, we have to be regenerated. We have to be given spiritual life. In Acts 16.14, Luke says of Lydia, um, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Okay, So, so th- this is what Sandra's asking about. The will that's involved in, in the believer's life when they, when they finally do believe, there is a will involved, but it's actually the Lord who's doing that. That's the Lord who's opening up the heart of Lydia, opening up the heart of you when you came to Christ. And obviously the the response will be this is really a package deal. When God calls somebody, when he or when God chooses somebody, when he calls them, when he regenerates them, it will it will it will respond in saving faith. It will produce fruit. The person's not going to say, "You know what? I don't really want to be regenerated." God's already enlivened them and set, shown them the, the beauty of the gospel and, and they will respond in saving faith. It's a package deal. 1 John 3.9 No one is, who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He can't go on sinning, that is, practicing sin continually because he has been born of God. All right, So that always produces fruit. All right, this is where we come into the picture. So far, it's all God. Okay, and even even this this is generated by God. But but so far, it's God chose us. We didn't choose ourselves. God called us. We didn't call ourselves. Uh, God regenerated us. We didn't regenerate ourselves. And now God uh, converts us. And this is where we come into the picture where we actually respond. This is the part where we're actually cognizant of what God is doing when we come to saving faith. We say yes to God. And, and it has two aspects. 
faith and repentance. It's our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent and place our trust in Christ for our personal salvation. So we have two elements, faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Faith can be described as, and this is another one that I learned from my seminary professor, Dr. McCune, the knowledge of the assent to and the unreserved trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. This is what faith is. Let me try to break that down for you quickly. First of all, faith involves a knowledge. Okay, There, there has to be a, an intellectual understanding of what Christ has done. This is what Romans 10 talks about. How can a person believe if they haven't heard? Okay, They can't just like subconsciously come to Christ or or um, unconsciously come to Christ. That is, I, ha- I didn't even know. I came. It was amazing. No, there's a knowledge of the Gospel. We have to understand what's actually taking place. And then there's an assent to. That is, an agreement or an approval. Right? John 14.11, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles. Jesus is saying, listen, you need to assent to to what I've done and who I am. You need to you need to hear it, you need to have a knowledge of it, you need to approve it, and then finally you need to uh, have an unreserved trust. Unreserved trust. That has to do with our will. Okay? Because you could actually have these two and not be saved. You could have a knowledge of the gospel and an agreement to without an unreserved trust in. That's what the demons have. The demons recognize that there is a God, James 2.19, and they shudder. They have, they have a, a sense that God is real. They, they recognize it. But they are far from this, right? Not that they could be saved. That's not the point. But, but, but we need all three aspects of these in order to have faith. Alright, so that's the first aspect of conversion. That's our response to what God has already done in us, this work of regeneration. And then the second aspect is called repentance. And uh, this is a heartfelt sorrow, renouncing of it, uh, renouncing of the sin and sincere commitment to forsake it and to walk in obedience. This doesn't mean we become perfect at the point of repentance. We, are, we should be constantly, by the way, doing both of these things. There is a point in time when we respond with faith and repentance, but I hope throughout your Christian life you have been continually living in faith and repentance. Uh, you are continually getting more of a knowledge of Jesus Christ and, and assenting to what He has said and having unreserved trust and turning from your sin and committing to forsake it. And so these two things are often linked together. Remember when Jesus was preaching, He would often say, Repent and believe in the Gospel. John the Baptist said that before him and uh, the disciples said it after him. Repent and believe in the Gospel. This is the human's response. So here's how this works. We don't know who's got the big E. Is that an E or is, that, or is this an E? Let's see. I think this one is. Okay. We don't have a big, we don't, people don't have a big E on their forehead, right? Elect. Chosen. Right? We don't know which ones are chosen, so here's what we do. We do what Jesus Christ did. We do what the disciples did. We say to them, 
You have a responsibility. I don't care if you're part of the chosen or the part of the, the people who are going to be passed over. I don't care which part you are. You have a responsibility to repent and believe. Okay, It's not a question. Would you like to receive Christ? Would you like to ask Him into your heart? It's always given in the form of a command in the Scriptures. Repent and believe. And that's how we, we speak to people. Now, we don't have to be overly harsh when we do that. Get them to understand their sin, and then when they see where they are in relationship to God and what He demands, then you say, listen, here's the response that you need. You need to turn from your sins and follow Christ. You need to believe in Christ. That's conversion. All right, then finally there is justification. And uh, we've been talking about this in, on Sunday morning in Galatians. And so I'll quickly give you a definition. It's an instantaneous legal act. So if we think of regeneration, um, if we think of uh, regeneration as the, um, the work of a surgeon actually giving us life, maybe transplanting a heart or giving us a heart transplant or something. This is more of the, the act of a judge. That he now says, I see you now as just. Okay, He thinks of our sin as forgiven and of Christ's righteousness, that, that we have Christ's righteousness and therefore it belongs to us. And then it also uh, means that he declares us to be righteous in his sight. Okay, so it's a legal transaction that God does once we come to faith and repentance. So, choice, calling, okay, uh, uh, regeneration gives us the life. Now we respond in faith and repentance, and then God immediately justifies us. He says, now I count you as just. We'll talk about this more in the next hour here. Um, I count you as righteous. And I love this song that we've been learning uh, here last week, actually, His Robes Were Mine. He says, He as though I, accursed, that is Christ, Christ as though I, accursed and left alone. This is the idea of justification right here. I as though He, embraced and welcome home. We exchange robes with Christ. He takes our robe of sin and is judged accordingly. We take His robe of righteousness and are treated like a king accordingly. Or treated like a king's son. Because that's who we are in Christ. Alright. That was a lot, I know. Uh, we probably could have just taken time just to talk about election, but we do have a lot to cover in this um, systematic class. Are there any burning questions that you need to have answered? Or conversion? Yes. There you go. Our willing response to the gospel call. Or we repent and believe. You could say it that simply. Response to the gospel call or we repent and believe. Alright, anything else? Morning. Oh, well, good morning. How are you? Okay. Thank you. Come on in. We're just finishing up in here. Oh, okay. Go ahead, all the way through. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. I'm sorry. No problem. We were. Yeah, I know. We were. We were running late. That was my fault, not yours.
All right, well, let's uh, pray and, and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank You for uh, Your grace and salvation. It is humbling, again, to be reminded that our salvation is not of our own determination, our own free choice, but because of Your will, Your sovereign choice of us. And because of that, we want to praise You for Your grace, that it was not of work so that we could not boast. Give us the, uh, the ability and the, the desire and the, the will to, to learn more about this and to understand it more clearly as we study it on our own. And, uh, and even as we study it together as a church, may we uh, come to love and, and uh, promote this great doctrine of the faith and, and these others that we've talked about as well. Thank you for the impartation of spiritual life to us who are spiritually dead. May you use us to strengthen uh, the resolve of one another as we seek to encourage them in the faith. And may we not move toward a passive mentality because we see your, your active hand in it, but that we would uh, seek to do more knowing that you have sovereign purpose for us coming to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.